Blazing sunlight blinds eyes. High decibel music deafens ears. Too much hot sauce dulls taste buds. Hunting and wild pursuits become exhausting. Rare treasures entice men to evil deeds. Therefore, the sage attends to inner nourishment instead of mind-numbing diversions. She selects healthy food, ignoring empty calories. Lao Tzu. That's from Chapter 12 of the Tao Te Ching. Stacy and I on the side are translating that and doing some work, reflecting on that for a conversation to come. We'll talk about that later in the show. This episode, friends, is about the senses. It's about keeping your wits about you. Aristotle talked about the five senses, and we're going to talk about how bringing all of that together into intuition and deep listening to our bodies and to the cries of folks around us and to the laughter and really understanding what people mean when they are giving off communication, when they're making noises, as it were. We're also going to talk about a way for us to have better lives, more peace as we navigate a world that's filled with sights and sounds, and we're going to talk about ways in which we can learn to discern what's going on with senses and smells and not judge them. That's an application of something we've been talking about before. I hope it's a fun one. Thanks for joining us. Let's go. All ahead, one third. All ahead, one third. Aye, aye. Stand by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons in outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects. So make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the Crisis Text Line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. Now, just take a deep breath, because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry because we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along, because we got this. Jeff? Yes. Where are we right now? We're finally home. <laughs> We're finally home. Home sweet home. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever that means. It's the it's the alleyway that we rent. <laughs> well, no. We are with our children. That's the family home yes. thing. Yes. We um, had a wonderful Thanksgiving with them. It was really good to be back. And the Tao Te Ching that you, the chapter 12 that you had translated, it also is very timely for for this time of year and also i think if if there's an enneagram that you can attach to these chapters i would say seven is a big one for this one and it and kind of talking about like all this excess like when you do too much flavoring right excess of the senses right yes. so i'm a seven and i love to have Adventure. lots and lots of flavor lots of new things lots mm-hmm. of you know you just want lots of adventure. But sometimes, like, it, you know, if I'm if I'm making a dish, I made a, uh, I, I think, a quite good uh, 
gumbo. Absolutely. And I kept it cool, but I was always tempted to push it farther with spices and, more importantly, too many spices. Mm-hmm. There so, is such thing as too much of a good thing sometimes, right? <laughs> there are a lot of there are a lot of Tao Te Ching translations out there, really a ton. There's a lot that you can get for free online that is not very helpful. It's going to be hard for you to understand it. It's hard to really get into it and enjoy. There are some that are great. Uh, we like Stephen Mitchell. He's got a very nice meditative flow mm-hmm. to it. Uh, there's a dude named Ames who's got a very good way of dealing with the manuscripts. There are various you know, traditions, so if you want a more of a scholarly side of that, there's Lombardo's translation. I met him, and, and Dan and I interviewed him on a previous podcast for Virtue in the Wasteland about another translation he did. That one's really stark and, and good. But we realized that for my students, for your interactions with folks— it just wasn't it wasn't connecting to our idioms. And so we're not trying to be cute about it when we talk about hot sauce. But we're <laughs> trying to not recreate a Chinese world. Right. But we're trying to speak the Tao into our world because the Tao isn't owned by China or a thing called Taoism. It's just some wisdom right. that we'd like to help people well, understand for daily life. And even as we're looking at all these different translations, it seems like sometimes we're, you know, connecting on some of the same things but some of them are just totally off the wall and like out there and it's like what was really going on here yeah and it's really hard the translations aren't just sometimes choppy they're widely you know diverging (laughs) in terms of what's going on so we've been looking at oh and i should mention that really if in the meantime as we're translating this if you just want somebody to help you understand it uh, really derek lynn has some good stuff there i think ultimately the best all round for a a good you know, if you're a class, well, if you're a professor, mm-hmm. I'd say maybe Derek Lynn's is a really good way to go for a scholarly uh, version. Mm-hmm. There are others as well. But some of the old public domain stuff that you can get online is sometimes really clunky and, and off. Yeah. And, and sometimes so off that it's getting it in the exact opposite direction, <laughs> right? Right, right. Like, It's just the opposite meaning of what it's supposed to be. Of some very yeah. important things, you yeah. know. So why are we talking but about this? But I mention this, this yeah. because starting in the new year, starting in January, there'll be a new opportunity for anybody that is a Patreon tipper. We will be giving them each week a copy of the translation that we're working on and a reflection on it as well. Now, don't get too excited, friends. (laughs) Each chapter is usually only a paragraph or three. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. But they are are finely tuned, right? you know, honed and whittled, and we're really taking our time with each of these. And we really want to invite people, too, that if if you are a part of this and you're seeing these translations, that if you have feedback or questions that we want to interact with you on it, because... All of this is going to become very real for us as we see season three of this podcast. So let's back up and tell them yeah. what we're doing here. What is season one? This is right now. We're one. coming to the end of season one, and we're going to close out 2019 with with this, which is the shows that we've been doing. Sorry about that one. Yesterday, the last time was long. It was very very <laughs> glad to do it, but, uh, but but we're really just kind of introducing you to who we are and what we're about. The kind of thing that we did so far is reflect on on religion and America and, and spirituality and cults and things. But as we're just kind of cruising along, we're just giving you a little taste of what we're about as people, as your hosts for this, this set of lessons. But now we're going to actually get into the material. Now, if you've ever had a class with Ole Mallinson, I always tend to have this front-loaded. So I'll spend this heavy, heavy time up front going over the methodologies, the basic concepts, you know, I just get real passionate about that. 
And then it's easier. You would think, was well, it going to get harder? No, a, a good class should kind of get easier in the sense right. that you've got now the theory, you've got the big principles, and now you're going to see how they play out in, right. in the world. We're actually going to do that for this show. We're going to talk to you about what's our big thesis when it comes to the senses and how you need to think about the senses or we'd say it like this, how we invite you to find more peace <laughs> and, and pr- protect yourself from potential harm through understanding your senses. But so anyway, these are the kind of big, basic concepts for protecting your noggin, for the defense against the religious dark arts, for outfoxing religious wolves. Mm-hmm. But now, it's not going to be us and our big picture concepts. It's going to be great teachers. And of course... So starting in January, we're going to start with Jesus, and it'll be protecting Protect with, with Jesus. Jesus. That's going to be that. We'll do that for about six months, covering um, some various teachings of Jesus and that, and key themes and ideas. And what we're going to be doing is that that will coincide with the 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 Bible study, basically a book that we're going to put together. So be following us on that. By the way, the tr- the translation work, which we'll come back to of the Tao Te Ching, is sometimes popping up on our Instagram page, mm-hmm. which is at Dow the Dow surfers. surfers. So our our handle there is Dow Surfers with a T T A O Surfers. But uh, that's not going to be what Stacy is going to be sending out to folks each week. She's going to be sending out uh, to to those people who are Patreon subscribers a special thing that you can only get that way, which mm-hmm. is the full translation of the full chapter, not just like one little quote. But we'll still be sending those quotes up. And the plan then is that in the beginning of the year, that first semester, we're going to be doing or that first semester of 2020, mm-hmm. if you think academically, we're going to be offering our reflections on Jesus helping us to get our get our heads straight, to right. get our wits what about are, us. What are the teachings of Jesus and how do we apply there some of these 12. concepts that we did, that we've been discussing? Right. There are 12 teachings of Jesus that are really difficult, like don't do the dishes, hate your parents, make bad investments. <laughs> what, what can you think of any other funny ones? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll tease those out later. I mean, there's also the concept of the unforgivable sin. Like, what is right. that? Like, so we've got these 12 things that you think you don't like, right? You think that the unforgivable sin is a teaching that's dangerous for you or unhelpful or it scares you. We're going to actually show you how that is one of the most powerful things that he's talked about. Or Mm -hmm. the idea of hating your parents, which sounds like Mm culty, is actually liberating from the whole thing that makes cults go, which is, you know, critical thinking. Or sell everything is another one. Yeah, or sell (laughs) all your stuff. So all of these difficult teachings, and the reason we're doing this is really the whole point of why we got this podcast started in the first place, which is to be able to have coursework or self-study where if you feel like you've been duped or you're worried that your kids are excited about going into a church youth group, say, or they're, they're getting into some you know, yoga thing, mm-hmm. what are the basic tools that you want to go into any situation with? And I'd say it's not just religious communities. It's life. Mm-hmm. If you want to have healthy relationships, there is a way in which Jesus has got some really handy things for you to know. Right. If you don't want to fight with – you're getting married next year. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna want to read what Jesus meant when he said hate your parents. There's because, re, there's wisdom <laughs> there, whether or not you're yeah. a Christian, and the yeah, same you, thing right, with Tao Te Ching, yeah. Right. So, um, I suspect that then in the future, I'm interested in doing things like you know uh, William of Ockham. But we need to get you to to understand what we're about before we go to William of Ockham. <laughs> I don't know if people are gonna pick that up immediately, right? There are we'll some. See. 
philosophers and, and really interesting people. But we get ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead <laughs> of ourselves. But I want you to know, dear listener, that, that we do need your help on occasion. If you can help, you can help by rating us however you get your podcasts. If you tell a friend, if you just follow us so that when we've got something cool, you know, follow us on social media, on Twitter at the PYNP and, and, and Facebook. Facebook is... We do it. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm just so nervous about it. But <laughs> the point is, is that we're, we're building this up for a long haul. Yes. We're slowly simmering. We're not trying to come out all flashy and do a bunch of stuff all at once. We're doing things behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But again, so in this next six months, there's two things going to be going on. In the public conversation, if you follow us on the podcast here, we're going to be talking about the teachings of Jesus and how it can help you actually deal with Jesus people that are dangerous. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then we're going to do the, the, the same thing. So the idea is that we're going to be drawing from wisdom. You know, we could do one on Socrates down the line, and you don't have to be a Greek pagan to, no. take, to take Socrates in. But I think my passion, your passion, we've been really excited about helping young people to, to in fact, be able to get empowered mm-hmm. to find peace. And some people... They just run away from religious and spiritual conversations because they've had such a bad experience. Which is sad because then they're missing out on this a whole, whole component. aspect of life that's really important. We are spiritual beings, whether we want yeah. to admit it or not. <laughs> we will explain what this means when we get to the Tao Te Ching. And that's a little teaser there. And one of those is that, that one of the things I like about Jesus and Lao Tzu is that they're both interested in spirituality, mm-hmm. but they're also very earthy. They're not abstract. Right. You know, it's it's the actual touch of a leper for Jesus. It's the actual, you know, one time Lao Tzu says, if you're getting stressed, hold an uncarved piece of wood and mm. stare at it for mm-hmm. a while. And it's that embodiment. It's the idea that, that the spirit for Christians, capital S spirit, takes its shape or takes form in the people who are the people of God yeah. in the in the Christian tradition? The Christians are little Christs. They are the body of Christ. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so that takes us really to what we're doing now. Well, and I and I oh, just, yeah. I used to always think sort of I used to always sort of think that you know I, I was kind of waiting for heaven for everything to be you know right. Right, and as you're it miserable be. now. <laughs> you know, and, and, and your I, body doesn't matter. Right, and that and you know when I die, then everything will be okay. You know. Right. Um, uh, but and we're not denying that. It's just that to to have that not, as your only, as the only consolation in a world where you're in a living hell is not enough. And it's not necessary. You know, we are told that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and yeah. I've been able to catch glimpses of this peace that I didn't even ever think was possible. Yeah, and that's really what we want for all of you. Now, while we're doing this as a podcast, we're also gearing up for season three. And those of you who are supporters through Patreon. If you are part of this back-channel conversation, then as we send out each week a reflection from the Tao Te Ching, you can say, especially let's say if you're coming from a Christian background, how does this fit mm-hmm. with this other teaching? And how uh, how does it, we're asking people, you don't have to, you can get these things and just throw them in, the, in your inbox trash or something. <laughs> but... But if you're interested, if something moves you, if something startles you, if something upsets you, if something really is helpful, then if you send us that feedback, we may be able to put that into a future podcast, a YouTube video, or or curriculum. All right. But I do want to take a second, Mm. um, and I... 
just a heart, super, super heartfelt thank you to all of you folks that have already sent in feedback and told us your stories. Yes. We are so touched. We've got all this piled up. We've been traveling around the country with it. Yeah. We've been able, Jeff, you just met with one of our listeners, um, you you know, and and met him for the first time when you were hanging out in Indiana. Like, it's been so amazing to make these connections. And for those of you that have sent something in and we haven't gotten back to you, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're working on it. We, I promise we are reading everything. We are, we listen, will get we are slow. You. We will finish. Steve and Katrina, thank you for the book. We will finish that. They, we've got old friends and, and people who have supported us. And then we've got new friends. We've yes, got a couple wanna, people that came this week. A couple shout outs. Really recently. Yeah, for Andrew and uh, Lisa for being new Patreon supporters. I yeah. really appreciate that. Yeah, that just especially at this it, time because we know that this is a big push for us. This is a lot of this is a lot of financial and personal time risk for all the things we're doing, and and part of it, as you said, you know, um, meeting with with people in other cities in mm-hmm. Colorado and in 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 Indy recently is has been so heartwarming. And I'll get there. We want to get there. Yeah. It just sometimes takes us three or four months before we can even think about connecting up but we do really really care and and the support is is I mean, more, it's this, moral support this is what we're, we're we're doing this here for all of you we want we want everybody to be a part of this conversation and and, and support each other in yes. our own healing and protection yeah and and for those of you that have taken time to write a review on oh, the apple yeah. podcast really appreciate that Thank alice so our new friend that we met Did she <laughs> from write the a farm review? yeah Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. I really so, respect her opinion. Uh-huh. I respect a lot of people's opinion, but she's a, she's a bright, bright One of your former lady. students, Katrina. Anyway, we've just been oh, yeah. so blessed yeah. by all of you that have given us this feedback, that have Sometimes it gets so scary. We're going to talk about this when I talk about the Order of the Great Pyrenees in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, sometimes I get I get a little anxious. And I'll tell you what, you know what? Sometimes... I get shaky. Now, I, I found recently that there's some interesting people that I really respect, people I think that are really chill. I'll give you one. Alan Watts, the, mm. the uh, kind of Zen Buddhist mm-hmm. slash, I don't know, you know he, he was an Anglican priest, but he was really interested since he was a kid in, in Asian religions. So Alan Watts, I always thought, you know, he must just sit around in the lotus position just chilling <laughs> out. And I remember Father Trifon, my... Uh, my uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, hero, the monk from, yeah, from we've, Washington. We've, we've mentioned him. Yeah. He he was he was friends at some point. He was hanging out in the in the Renaissance, the, or the uh, the kind of spiritual Renaissance of the 1960s in in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, well, you know, Alan Watts, like he 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 would drink a lot, <laughs> and he was kind of you know a ladies' man. So he was really an interesting character in that he he had you know he was an embodied dude but i didn't realize that he would sometimes he said in his biography he would sometimes get shaky mm. and that mm-hmm. put a little tear in my eye mm-hmm. and the reason is i gave myself permission to feel what i feel and to experience what i experience like i'm the dad mm-hmm. i'm the professor Mm-hmm. I'm going to help us all. We're going to like, we're going to get through this. We're going to avoid the religious wolves. And sometimes the religious wolves, I was reflecting middle of the night last night. Mm. I couldn't sleep. I, my body was revolting against me mm-hmm. in fear of like really mild. I would say my, my experience has been pretty mild, although it's been so pervasive of like kind of religious traumatization yeah. that I was reflecting on, uh, well, we'd watched Mr. Toad's wild ride. Uh, our daughter-in-law 
was uh, was like said, "Hey, let's let's watch this." And so uh, the the kids who hadn't seen some of these old Disney movies, I wanted to watch that, and it reminded me of how terrified I was as a kid who had gone to an evangelical school going to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and all of a sudden ending up in hell. Mm -hmm. And there was somebody maybe near me that had hot breath or maybe they have hot... I think they have hot wind blasting. This is a Disneyland ride. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. So you you get judged guilty and then you crash. And and then all of a sudden you end up in hell. And it was this... I know it was just a ride, but everything else, like Pinocchio's Pinocchio's going into the belly of the whale, Mm Mm-hmm. That's just a fairy story. I get that, right? Like that's just like a like a folktale. But now I'm thinking as a kid. So Pinocchio's weird. Well, Pinocchio's totally to has weird. But was... I mean, like you know, does the frog really have to go to hell here? And like, why am I going to hell with the frog? I don't like this experience. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, it was just, I like. I'm just saying, I was shaky. I was shaking. Yeah. And now, Stacy, you. You reminded me of, of yes, what so shaking was about. Our friend Barbara English, who she works with um, folks that are dealing with religious trauma. Yeah, I first met her when I was doing work related to genocide. So she is somebody, just just a just a delightful woman in the area here who who has really turned her career towards helping people with, you know, like people that are refugees from genocide mm-hmm. communities and that have been experiencing genocide. But and, she mentioned yeah. that as like, so sometimes, you know, obviously with trauma that you start to like, you block off certain feelings. Um, and then when you start to come back alive again, it happens often through shaking Yeah, that it's something to do with, with your spine and I don't know, your nerves. No, I'm sorry. It's the yeah. nerves, right? She described it as a, a, like a rabbit say gets attacked by a coyote let's say the coyote runs off because people are coming and the rabbit goes into shock almost like it's dead. Mm-hmm. And then it's body coming back to life. It appears starts with to shaking. Shake. Yeah. And then it, you know, and it's, and it can be uncontrollable. You yeah. Know? Um, and, and I think what, one of the things that she was saying in some of the exercises that she was doing was that you, it's kind of best to let yourself shake it out like let yeah. the shaking happen don't try to squash it down or our bindi does this when she know? gets overwhelmed by some emotion she'll come and she'll shake yeah. you know she'll shake be like it out. as yeah. if she's got water on her back but she mm-hmm. doesn't it's just the nerves kind of mm-hmm. going and so and so that's really i think really important i mean that's one of the reasons why why you got into yoga she does something similar to yoga but it's for people sometimes if they come from a muslim community and yoga is seen as as like a different religion. So she has just different, just pure exercises where there's tensing, tensing up and then releasing. And a lot of, you know, she said a lot of the stress gets kind of stored up in the back. But the, but the, the idea here for us and how this fits in is both, A, like we need to respect and listen to our bodies. Yes. It doesn't mean that we endorse what our bodies are saying. So I had to tell my body and you, you told me, you know, three in the morning, it's okay. We're good. Like, right. I mean, I was having a, like kind of a PTSD encounter and I was thinking about like years ago, religious people that screwed me around, mm-hmm. you know, screwed around with me. And I, I was surprised that at 45 years old, I should care. Mm-hmm. And then I was h- hating myself. I was angry at myself. Well, you were, yeah, you said that you're like, I'm so sorry. I was trying not to let you know. And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 wait, that's the worst. Because when you aren't, when you're 
denying it when you're holding it back or trying to stop it, then it it will just get worse and Mm -hmm. it will build up. And you need to recognize what you're feeling and not judge it. Yeah. And, and, and honor that. Yes. For a second. For, yeah. However long you need to. Yeah. Um, then you can kind of start to sort of find maybe where the source is ultimately, maybe you're going to see a pattern of when this happens. Maybe you won't know right away, you know, but eventually you can find healing when you're able to embrace it and start to understand it. And I think so much of what we do often with our senses, especially is if it comes in and it's foreign to us, or maybe, you know, it, I, I can be very particular about smells sometimes and a smell might come in. You can be a little in. particular. <laughs> Especially during certain Ooh. times of the month. <laughs> it is a thing. And I, it is a thing. It's actually, and it's not what you maybe think. It's, it's actually when you're ovulating. <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know if uh-huh. other women, maybe this is like common knowledge. I'm a dude. I don't know. But I... I get more sensitive to yeah, smells. Yes. Yeah, so you know. all of a sudden when my, when my nose is on high alert, then Jeff's like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, boy. And, and then it'll be, it'll be connected to other things. Like, you're just, you're, you're noticing things. Mm-hmm. Now, now get this though. So one of the things that we do is we'll say, don't experience that. But you can't not experience it. Your nose is is doing what your nose do. Right, right, <laughs> you know. Right. And, but yeah. what I realized and kind of part of the inspiration behind some of this show was the fact that I was judging this information that was coming into my body and especially smells and sometimes sounds because I can be sensitive to those as well. But with the smells... I, I realized that I would, you know, just, it would come in and I would be like, oh, that's bad, like, oh, terrible. You know, I try to cover my nose and things and realizing that. And then you'd make this just horrific <laughs> face and then I'd be like, oh man, what's. And then I said, well, what? Wrong? So I stopped myself in the middle of it one time and I was like, wait, what is so bad with the smell? It's just a smell. So like, what is so bad with it? Like, why do I need to judge the smell? We talked about you know, in the shows in the past, judgment versus discernment and, you know, judgment being the condemnation with contempt. So that's more of like a disapproval with, with this, like, so you're, you know, upset by something and you're, you're totally disapproving of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Versus discernment where it's more of a recognition of the, the facts and seeing something for what it is and saying, okay, there is a smell here. So that's, you know, and, and then, what is this, you know, what is it telling me here? What is this fact, you know, mm-hmm. then having compassion on whatever it is? Because maybe it isn't a good smell, you know, maybe if I have really bad breath, I've got, you know, something, I got to go to the dentist, <laughs> you yeah. know, and take care of a problem. Well, you're saying I, that's nice of you, but you're really <laughs> talking about me because I've had this, I got this problem where, where I've got this kind of high arch underneath my my molar, one of my molars, actually both of my back bottom molars. And so I can't really keep it clean. And so I had to have one of them yanked. But when they did, there was there was a significant infection under there. So and so it wasn't that. like, so I'm thinking, oh, I've got bad breath. And then I feel shame. Yeah, no. Or I feel judged or whatever. But it's not that I'm not trying. It's that I've got this problem. And so I do need to pay attention. So mm-hmm. this is kind of the main thesis of this show. At a basic kind of spiritual level, the senses 
is how the the non-human world communicates with you yes and communicates with each other you know i mean it's there's another pheromones language. It's, and, it's like another and, language we yeah. use words in our brains all the time but we right. we're very cognitive especially since the enlightenment <laughs> and we've and we've you know we've got our deodorants and we don't smell like people anymore yeah. Oh, that's the other funny thing too. You know, when you when we travel, mm. even even across the U.S., people smell different. But especially foreign travel, you know, you start to realize yeah. that uh, people what you eat and yeah. and you know what soaps and things I, you use. You I know? mentioned Alan. There are two two smells on that. Since you mentioned travel, Alan Watts said when he went to Kyoto, Japan. He noticed that the latrines, you could smell that it was latrine, but the food was a lot healthier, mm. so it didn't smell horrible. And there have been some parts of the country where we started eating bad <laughs> diets and just going into like the public restrooms yeah. was was kind of a, an experience because, because of what people were eating. And right. it affects things. But it's also true that when you go into foreign cultures, you can smell the different, you know, it kind of comes out of your body. Mm-hmm. I noticed that when I eat better, uh, my, my BO isn't as bad. Mm. Mm-hmm. I can smell, mm-hmm. you know, if I haven't taken a shower yet, I can smell myself, but I don't. It's a different smell. Stink, and this, <laughs> and then so that's one thing. And then the other thing that I noticed is when we were with, we talked to Marcos last episode. Yeah, Marcos Ruiz. When when I was asking him when we were in in Cuba, how did they know that he is not Cuban? Mm-hmm. Because he was wearing a. You know, he's wearing a shirt like the other guys. Right. He is so Cuban American. His dad he was could, Cuban. He could have right. totally been there. Right. And it's that he smelled like shampoo. Mm-hmm. And they don't have. And so, yeah, I realized as as you were as you're kind of cruising around that even if you're well dressed, well, you know, you've got the hygiene and everything fine. It, it's hard to find those basic needs. I went to a spot that had maybe three packs of cigarettes and two bottles of sh- of, of shampoo in this little shop you know i was looking for a full you know market mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so this is a way though that is it's a communication another thing when we talk about the the, the smells when we were i don't know what we were thinking we put our kids this was years ago put our kids on the motorbike and we were traveling through the mountains in yangshuo oh yeah china uh-huh. and i found myself I don't. This is why I really feel bad about it. The year after that, we had a couple students, and they kind of took spills on these things, <laughs> and they were having a hard time mm-hmm. doing it. So why did I think my own children were? Huh. But you know what? They were fine. But we've done the motorcycle thing, mm-hmm. so it's kind of. But the but the thing is, they were with me, and we were going down the road, and people are going in both directions on the sidewalk. So it was like a a weird Star Wars thing. Just, <laughs> just so many people. It's but true. I realized, how did they get through this? And then I was mad at everybody in China because I thought it was noisy, and everybody's honking. And I said, how rude, how rude, until I realized it, it was like sonar. I felt like a bat. So somebody just, they were honking at me not to say get out of my way sucker but saying i'm here on your left right just like a little bell going ding ding right so you can know your space know who's around you all by their communications and westerners have a particularly bad relationship to some of the senses especially you say smell well first of all when you tell some if you say well that person smells (laughs) it's it's definitely taken yeah, is a is an offensive. We thing. don't have a lot of words for like this <laughs> beautiful say, aroma. You, you know, know, if if we're gonna say something smells nice, it's like, oh, you smell good. You have to like, yeah. you have to add the something to I was it joking to turn about, it into not. 
you know, a negative thing. I was joking about this when I was speaking at the Mockingbird Conference in New York last spring. <laughs> yes. Where we were on a, on our way over to speak at the at the venue. There was this dude and he was just frustrated as heck. He's marching up and down the street and he's going, I, well, I don't like Bill. I don't want to hang out with him tonight. No, forget this guy. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, I just, I don't like him. Well, because he said I smell. <laughs> oh, oh, he said I smell like weed. Well, that's true. Oh, okay, well then let's <laughs> hang out. No, no, don't just, I just caught that one half of the conversation. Right. But that shows you that that he thought that somebody was putting him down just by saying he that smelled. he smelled, yeah. Right, but he's like, no, I, I could smell him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of people that, you know, know that the wheat smell may not be the best, you know. Yeah, or, and it's like know. the skunky thing. But but it's but it, it's a thing, right? Like you, you <laughs> right. can say like what – what it, it sends off a signal. Yeah. You know, you're at a concert. I remember when I was at a Striper concert. You know Striper was, Stacey? I do, but like I, you know, I... I you wouldn't have gone with us. Yeah, no. No, but I was, I was with the, my, my buddies at the Striper concert, and the two things that were interesting to me were, first, these dudes were like, it was a little bit, little bit obscene, because like in the, the, the movie, um, uh, the Spinal Tap, anyway, they were wearing like really tight, like spandex type pants, <laughs> and then the place smelled like, smelled like weed, and I just was so out of my element, because at the time, I'm... I'm like, you know, like this is like an evangelical yeah, like group like, of kids that are going up there. But you kind of I rem- I've pr- pretty much ever after that. I don't care if it's Tom Petty at the Red Rocks mm-hmm. and this is way before the legalization in different states. I don't know how people like I'm so scared if if a cop's behind me and I'm going 58 and a 55, I'm just freaking out. <laughs> so I don't know how these guys are just lighting up doobies. Right. I'm just saying I don't know how you have the energy to do that for fear of getting busted. I'm just like, I'm like a nervous guy in this kind of thing. The one thing I noticed, we were in China. I think we're going up near the Great Wall and there was this beautiful little scenery, mm-hmm. this area of scenery. I said, you know what I noticed? I don't smell any weed. Oh. <laughs> because it was the kind of place if I was in Colorado or, or, or Yosemite or something, I would just always think that I'd smell like this kind of faint. Mm. And I said, oh, I haven't smelled weed in like a month. Right. You know, because I just, that no, wasn't, wasn't something there. you smell in China. No. But I definitely smelled cement. <laughs> you know, so these. <laughs> well, and especially because, yeah, in Beijing, it's like crowded cities. So yeah. you would think that maybe. Right. With that many people. Right. And I'm not saying that they don't, I don't even know what their rates of use of. So, but the But the idea is that. We in the West are so cognitive that everything, even the sounds that we hear, are just like talking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we we don't even have a language. We've been with this with the translation. I've been looking at the you know doing some the Mandarin, and I, I it's, I'm really enjoying how the characters work. Mm-hmm. But for the life of me, I cannot pronounce it. Mm-hmm. I cannot pronounce. And I, I can't hear it all. I'll like sound. Anymore. I'll think I'm perfectly acceptable, and people will just laugh at me, and I'll go yeah. five. This happened in China. Yes. I'd say like thank you, and they'd just be going like, "Why'd you curse at me?" Like she 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 she, and your name is she she to me, so I'd say she she to you, and they're like, say. "Anyway, so but what what is this? It's because we do not value those kind of tonal aspects of language as much. Well, right? and and we're not used to hearing it. The hearing yeah. those differences, and so, so once your brain at a certain point, out, yeah. you can't, you almost can't hear it. You know, right? And th- so now the. The the key then to how this works, if if you think we're getting a little new age on you, friends, and self helpy, let me let me take you to Aristotle. Okay, so Aristotle <laughs> he talks about the five wits. That's why we say uh, this show is about keeping your wits about you. But when you bring all of those wits together, that's what we 
come to when we've got this idea of um, intuition. Mm-hmm. Because intuition isn't magic. It's not really a sixth sense. It's the it's the kind of subconscious network of multiple things. Mm-hmm. And if you want to stop the show in the th- next 30 seconds, you will have gotten the main point if you just catch this piece right here, which is when you're when you're dealing with unknown circumstances or when you're in a circumstance that might seem familiar but you're just feeling that something's off, mm-hmm. the reason we say you should trust that even though you don't know why you think that mm-hmm. is because your brain might be picking up on smells and sights right. and sounds that you can't quite understand it's yet. information it's taking in. and right. Yeah, and and I will say that I was listening to a podcast called The Art of Growth that has panels of the various Enneagrams. And there was one in particular that I was listening to on ones, learning about, you know, more about myself. Stace is a one. <laughs> and they, one of the things that they were saying is that ones are d- slower processors that they will... It takes them a little while to formulate what they're going to say, which is also why I'm not as talkative on the podcast as often. It's not Jeff just overpowering me, but I sometimes, and I've mentioned this before, but I'm also an introvert. So it takes me a little bit and then I, you know, come up with something or whatever that I am going to say, but that's a very one thing. And it takes one's a little while to process it. I'm, more I'm verbally bar- barfing all over the place. And, <laughs> well, the yeah. sevens, they do say they start answering before they even think about what they're going to say. So they start right. talking and right. then it comes to them. Yes, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> but ones, no, they need to like process it all and and then finally say something. However, they're also from the like the gut triad. So they're the ones that have a lot of more of that intuition. Enneagrams are broken into triads. These are people that are primarily drawing from their gut. So their, their mind. That would be more the gut is the intuition. Right. The mind is Jeff with the, he, and so the, concepts right so that's the sevens the five six and sevens are the the head people and then the heart people um are the ones that are what four three and two so one no not four three yeah two three four yeah yeah one nine and eight are the the gut people okay but what that is is the intuition so we will take in at least for one i know um the how the one takes in information and they will definitely have a feeling that they might have, right? And they may not know exactly how they got there. And then it takes the brain a little while longer to like put all together the reasons of why this is. So they can have a knee-jerk reaction to something. Right. But they may not even tell you what that is. But if you mm. ask them, they couldn't even tell you or explain to you right away what that is. And they may not even have that. Like they might need just time to process it before they would even tell you anything, even if they kind of have a feeling of what they're sensing from it. Anyway, that's a little. So what we're saying, though, is we need to respect our bodily senses. I agree with Aristotle that that the that the experiential world, that our observation through the senses is the way that we learn things mm-hmm. where you really have basically two primary ancient Greek ways of thinking about epistemology or how you gather knowledge. Plato thought that you should not trust your senses, just trust reason. Largely, Plato thought this because his dear teacher Socrates was condemned to death by people who let their emotions Mm -hmm. get out of hand, who were not rational. Mm -hmm. So he thought, well, the way we can avoid professors getting executed... (laughs) is to teach everybody logic. And 
Aristotle loved music, uh, appreciated music and poetry. Mm-hmm. Plato did not because he thought though these are these are shadows of the ultimate reality. Well, going back to Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu and Aristotle both are with Jesus on the importance of embodiment. Yes, that it's not. It's not enough to just have everything in your life be abstract and intellectual and cognitive. Right. We've got to respect that what we are we are, in are these spirits. Yeah. And, and when we and I'm not even saying that there's this separate thing. Like I'm not like we'll get maybe at some point to this guy uh, NFS Grunfig. Grunfig had this great emphasis on spirit in in culture. Uh, he was a Danish Lutheran theologian, but he I, I was thinking really re- resembled to me. Lao Tzu. I was reading both at the same time. I was reading Grunfig and Lao Tzu, and they were both saying that it's fine to talk about a soul, mm-hmm. but but really the way that the soul exists, you could say the soul has an existence outside the body. That's another kind of metaphysical question. But the way that it exists in in biblical and spiritual understandings of the world is as this body right. and that it's the it's like the software on the body it's it's the thing that's livening bringing mm-hmm. life to the body it's consciousness after the modern world with Descartes you even go farther than Plato and you're really pushing things into this the separation of the mind and the body mm-hmm. instead of the integration and i think that you know going again going back to to aristotle the way that you are going to understand universal truths isn't by starting with universal axioms or truths and then reasoning from those, deducing from mm-hmm, those. Mm-hmm. Instead, you're going to start with the very basic... What's concrete. Yeah. Now, Plato says, oh, come on, stop it. If you take a stick and you put it into water, you can see that it bends. So your sense of sight is... Maybe off. Yeah. That's almost like gaslighting, Plato. Stop it. Because <laughs> what Aristotle then says is, yeah, and how do you know? You know, how do you know that that stick... Isn't, isn't really bent mm-hmm. is because you do more observation. You touch it, right? You feel it as it's going in, right? So right. it's the the senses working together is what really helps us to ultimately make sense of the world. Right. Now, well, and and yep. I will say that we are here on this earth. This is the gift in a body. Why do we ignore it? And why? Yeah, to think that there isn't value in that that we shouldn't explore or understand what it is to be in this body is a denial of (laughs) what where we are right Mm -hmm. now and what the gift that we've been given (laughs) and this can work you can work at this through a naturalistic way of thinking uh, the way that these are adaptive to our environment our senses Mm -hmm. and you can think of it in terms of a creator giving us these gifts regardless this is how we've historically prehistorically even navigated the world. Let yes. me just give you an example. When we lived in the Seattle area, you and I spent um, a lot of time hiking around. It was so fun mm-hmm. foraging for edible mushrooms that I, I was able to serve a bunch of college students, you know, chanterelle yes, soup. Yes, delicious. Um, we would get huckleberries oh, up and in, it the, was fun in the mountains. Too, cause it was such a great way for us to get outside because the other thing yeah. too is it doesn't stop raining so or there's a gray yeah. sky. So you pretty much, what was great is if we go into the forest, there's a pretty good cover with the canopy of the leaves and the trees above our heads. And so going out on hikes and with the excuse of, you know, looking for mushrooms or the berries, we would collect, you know, wild blueberries and blackberries and raspberries. Yeah. And, and stinging nettles. Mm-hmm. We made pesto out of stinging nettles. I made tea out of those. Jeff those, learned uh, the great trick and taught red. the boys how to, like, the, you can roll the 
stinging nettles in such a way like, like a, a taco. taco, and then you can eat it, and it won't ever it won't sting, sting you. you. Your saliva and, will. You got to be careful. I'll show you in yeah, person. So, so don't ever, don't try that on your own, folks. But, but it's but, a superfood. It's really an amaranth. Yeah, and the stinging nettle soup was delicious. And everybody would make fun of me, but mm-hmm. we would then pull it off. But my point is, we're out there and we're really appreciating it. But how did our ancestors know what foods to eat? And how would you, if you're in a survival situation, know what foods to eat? Now, you want to have your survival guide, and there's actually several apps now that you can actually kind of snap a picture. It's helpful. They're not foolproof, though. But the thing that... It 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 gets you closer. People that have like English heritage, uh, British heritage, Mm -hmm. and Americans really don't like mushrooms. You know, so in America, mushrooms, a lot of people, you know, there's a... A, a, a new kind of interest in in mm-hmm. mushrooms for the like vegetarian community, but by and large, the idea of f- collecting wild mushrooms, you're either some kind of weird hippie <laughs> or you're like an immigrant. Because like up in the Northwest, there were a lot of people that were essentially trafficked, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not making any accusations, so please don't sue me, some company. But I do know that they would have kind of boatloads of 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 kind of people from Asia that would go out and then they'd forage for very prized mushrooms and they'd take them back to China and Japan and other places mm. and they would be, uh, v- you know, very expensive. Certain mushrooms are very, very, very uh, prized. And as well they should be because not all mushrooms taste like the mushrooms that you know, those white mushrooms mm-hmm. that you get. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I, I'm not a fan of portobello. No. So well, we... don't mention why. It, but... Stay away from Stay, them. I would they're just, not, it's not, just my they're hunch. Not, they're probably not healthy That's for you. Not, not, not the best. They, they might not be. They, they might, might not. not be. They might, we, we, we knew a, a scientist up in, in, in the Northwest. So the main thing is, the, the thing is, it is dangerous. The reason why Westerners don't like mushroom hunting, and we joined the Mycological Society yes, so did. that we could learn with people. Because notice, if you just look at a book, you're never going to get no. it. If it's just an idea. What, and the way our you, ancestors did this was the grandma would show us how to figure out the difference between a deadly mushroom yes. and something that was good. And you would smell it and you would smell the earth and they would have it. They would have these times where they would all get together in the community center and all bring the various species of mushrooms that yeah. they found so we could, could touch go and them, touch and them and the children and, could yeah. see them. And then once you and once you learn yeah. one, like you aren't gonna get it wrong. If but you know what a chanterelle is, you're not gonna kill yourself on, right. on lookalikes. You're you're not gonna have a problem if you figure out what a bolete is, those nice spongy we, things. But had we had not been in the Northwest, I don't know that we could have gotten to that point. Really. No, because in Southern it's so California hard. there's it's not, not enough fun. variety. We don't even do it. Yeah, no, we don't we even don't. go looking for mushrooms. There's no. nothing interesting here. But the point is that 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 the senses are part of that ancient way of knowing all of these gifts. And one of the reasons we like this concept of surfing the Tao is that one of the things that the Tao Te Ching teaches, and one of the things that Jesus teaches is, I'll say it in Jesus' terms, consider the lilies of the field. Mm-hmm. There's a way in which we are way too dependent on this post-René Descartes modernism where all we do is solve our problems through machines and brains. Yeah. Whereas we could see that we have a gift all around us. That's why I did the foraging. I was in Washington and we were getting, you know, these $30 Dungeness crabs that were pulling up out of the out mm-hmm. of the earth, mm-hmm. uh, out of the sea. And then we're having a, a, a pasta on the side with, with a pesto that we make from a superfood. Now, let me tell you, the, the, the stinging nettles that I got were pesticide-free. Yes. They were hyper-local. 
Mm-hmm. They were weeds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so nobody wanted them. Nobody had to put them into plastic bags and ship them off. I mean, you want to be environmentally friendly. If you live in a region where there is edible food, learning how to do that is one of the best things you can do with your friends and family and kids. It's one of the safest things you can do once you understand what you're allowed to eat and mm-hmm. not could die. Ooh, it's not good toxic. for survival <laughs> if yeah. you ever need to do. If and it's out, good for survival. Find yourself on a hike and... and but and now... Out of food and stuff, you could help sustain yourself. If you stuff. don't know, however, if something... Now, if you don't know if a mushroom's uh, no, edible, don't go, don't go for it. <laughs> don't. You have to know what you're doing. But if you're in a, in a situation where you are... Where you are like a berry, uh, for instance, which yeah. berries can actually be pretty bad. Berries, uh, leafy plants. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that you can, you can kind of dabble in something is you first just... You, you first boil up a little tea of it. And you just put a little drop on your tongue and see, does it burn? Does it taste bitter? And then and ju- and you just switch it over very tiny. Drop. And you're not swallowing. And then after a couple hours, if that doesn't get you, <laughs> this is especially if there's five of you, you know, you're starving to death, then this is when this would come out. Otherwise, don't do this, friends. I'm not yes. encouraging. Then you would swish it around in your mouth and spit it out. And then what is that? Then you do? would take a, then you wait an hour or so, then you take a, 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 a teaspoon and see how that feels. Do you puke? And how does it make your stomach? Why are we doing this? Because we might have forgotten a class in botany. We might have forgotten something that's in our minds. But there are ways in which nature is speaking to us. Mm -hmm. Now sometimes it's it's off, right? So Mm -hmm. the stinging nettles is actually really num num. And that's why it it's just stings. A, yeah, and its defenses are yeah. what keeps people Every away from them. Every rose has its thorns. So sometimes <laughs> something has these things to give you a feeling of pain so that you don't eat it. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, it's tricky. Yeah. But on the other hand, there are a lot of times in which, you know, an apple tastes like an apple. Well, that's that's a bad example because we've modified <laughs> the apple. But but like, oh, let's say like a, a flower smells wonderful. Mm-hmm. This is because it's trying to attract things that come over and right. help it get pollinated. Right. So the the fruit, the reason fruit historically has been so tasty to human beings is because the tree is saying, it's communicating. It's like, it's talking to us. Mm-hmm. It's saying, here, have a bite. Because then you're going to take these seeds and you're going to drop them somewhere far down the road and the circle of life will continue. Yes. Or a bee will have that bright yellow and it's saying, hey, stay back from me or else you'll get stung. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so... The sights and sounds of the world are the way that the universe communicates to one another. And dogs sometimes, you know, they can smell fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not an expert in this, but I, I think or that certain, I think that they literally can yeah. smell well, fear. Well, because you, we are, um, what our bodies, our bodies are giving off certain hormones at certain times, and they can they are sensitive to that. This is not a science class, friends. Fact, this is a little we, bit of a philosophy class. We're but. even we're even sensitive, whether we realize it or yes. not, sometimes to hormones and things as well, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do not fail to listen to your body when it's telling you something. And it might be that it's telling you that internally you're emotionally struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe your neck is tensed up right now, listener. Can you relax it? Just feel that neck. Just relax it. Well, drop your shoulders. Take a deep, take a deep breath. Why is your shoulder? Why was it stressed? Why were you feeling that pain? Maybe it's because there's something in your heart. I mean, not your physical heart, but your, your something you're storing emotional in your body, that yeah. you're that you're. Why are you tense? Why are you trying to run away from something? Right. So are you driving right now? But <laughs> and did somebody just cut you off? That's what happens. It's also <laughs> possible. It's also possible that your senses are giving you a false. 
you're you're misinterpreting it. Yes. And that's where I'd like to shift if we if we may. Well, because, or or you're yeah. too quickly discounting something and not paying attention right. to what it's saying. Yes. And I think that's part of it. And I would love to talk about sounds and how we've yeah. experienced that because there's an amazing amazing experience we had. Why don't you set it up? We're yeah. in it. We're in. We're in the Panhandle of Florida. Yes, so we were at a, a goat farm where they have also a mayha berry uh, kind of little part of the farm that is not producing because yeah. of alleged climate change. Well, what they're saying, yeah, that they're I think that they're drought conditions actually in this case. Yeah, the yield was like way back, like ten only ten percent of what they normally get, and. And they're just not producing well because the temperatures are not the levels of what they need to be. And the reason this particular tree only grows in a specific climate. And right. so because it's you not know, experiencing. South Georgia. And, yeah, yeah, there's very few areas Look at the in the Mayha berry. If you're in the area, get yourself some precious, <laughs> precious Mayha berry jam. Before it's gone. Or jelly, rather, before it's gone. It's uh, quite now, tasty. Eventually, there will be the another berry. area that probably can produce those trees. Hopefully, that, yeah, right. You know, like it'll just Antarctica? change. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but... Anyway, we were at this farm. They they have goats that they sell as for pets. Go go on YouTube and watch the fainting goats, and then promise me you will never make a goat faint like that. And I, I, they're wonderful goats for I pets. I believe it was Golden Acres Farm was yes. what it was called. But we we'll, we could put it on our Check show notes out. as well. They are yes. I guess when they get stressed, they do faint, which is why people like them, right? All anyway, but they have these great Pyrenees, these dogs that are the protectors. Oh, they're the best dog of the the flocks. You call it? Do they you call are it flocks for goats. But goats, the uh, the herd, the herd. Yes. Yeah, the, so they have a flock of sheep. Yeah. Herd of goats, I think. Yeah. So they do have some sheep there too yeah, on the sheep. property, but the goats are more fun. Yes, and so because they... the ram was a jerk, <laughs> the, the the little the cute little goats. I've always wanted to do goats. I wanted to have goats because we on the Dow Surfer Ranch in the San Diego County area, I'm trying to figure out do I want to go bees? Um, well, I wanted to do goats, especially so I could get a couple of uh, the the Great Pyrenees dogs. I will tell you why I can't do that in a moment. <laughs> these dogs are these. They're what they do is they're in charge of a, a certain you know it's like a fenced in area. The the Fences are probably only about two and a half, three feet high or so. They can maybe an acre square. So you've got these multiple acre squares with two dogs each. One and of then them stays a different set of animals in each. Yeah, and one of them stays with the animals they're protecting, and the other one's job is to walk the perimeter and make and sure that there aren't. They're so beautiful, any... white. I believe that when I get to the pearly gates, Saint <laughs> Peter will say, "There's the angels," and I'll say, "What? Where are they near the dogs?" And they'll say, "No, the dogs are the angels." And <laughs> they're so lovable. They just oh, they just want to come up. You give them a little biscuit, and so they're not like guard dogs. They're not like a threat. They're not terrifying. No, like they, they're gonna rip my throat out. They want love. They they can tear your throat out if they wanted to. If you go yeah. over to their babies that yeah, they're, they're protecting, like they that. aren't going to like but that. They're not, but they don't do that. They're unless, not like unless junkyard dogs. They're, no. They're only protectors. So yeah. only if there's a need to protect their yeah. their what they're in charge of, will they yeah. ever do their working dogs. So each of the pens had its own pair. And then there was like the archangels. <laughs> the mom and dad, basically, of most of them. Mm. Um, but they were more the roamers mm -hmm. uh, around the whole property. So they'd connect into each. They'd kind of check in on all of the folks that were in their individual pens, protecting them from coyotes, which she said. Yeah, coyotes would annihilate a whole group. Like maybe like even 
half of the whole herd or Coyotes have really made their way down from the northeast Mm -hmm. and into Florida. They don't have as many of the the koi dog kind of features. In in the northeast, you have a lot more of a genetic overlap between canine. Like, well, you've got domestic dog and coyote mix in a lot of the northeast. As you get down south to Florida, it's a little bit less. So they're kind of classic. But they go in and they'll just rip out. That is rip rip up all these little cute little goats mm. and then leave them there mm-hmm. maybe to come back. Right. What's the other problem though that they neighbors' dogs is the other. I was shocked at this. <laughs> the neighbors' dogs the are going to kill them. That's crazy. They can. They'll only get. She said they'll only get maybe one or two. But right. the coyotes are the ones that really. Anyway, but these Great Pyrenees they are working dogs and yes, they were and they're nocturnal. Them, you don't want them in your no. in your apartment. They they are happiest when they are put to work and have their job and then then it's all like magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they they're nocturnal, so during the day they're doing a lot more lounging around or whatever, but all the activity happens at night and then that's when they really start to we actually kind of started to learn their language a little bit, right? Yeah. Now, this At first, is it really, could just sound yeah. like terrifying barking or something or annoying barking. If you're just trying, you know, depending, the sounds might change a little bit. Well, it's me. It just creates anxiety because when I hear a dog bark, it's like a baby crying when you're a dad. It's what have I got to do now? What's the thing? Is there a problem out there? So when the dog barks, I'm thinking, do I have to quickly shut her up so that the neighbors don't get mad at me? Do I have to take her out at one in the morning on a walk in the cold night because she's got to pee? Is somebody trying to come kill us? <laughs> None of these are great things when I just want to just stay yeah, cozy. Just yep. So it, it creates anxiety. And I don't like that anxiety. And I realized that that this really fits closely with with what we're talking about on this show. That sometimes people will will communicate not through words. Mm-hmm. They might dye their hair differently. They might start dressing differently. They might start sulking. These might be kids that are going through some trouble. Maybe right. they're getting bullied. You want to ask them if you're a parent, what's going on? It, you know, you don't, yeah. I mean, if one of the, we can be too quick sometimes to judge and not listen to yes. what is being told to us through people's actions or behaviors, their noises, that you know, it doesn't like we know with babies, right? That sometimes there's a the I'm really tired cry, and sometimes there's the I need my diaper changed cry, right? And you start to tune in on in on that as a parent, but it, we sometimes think even as people get older, we forget that people's noises or actions that they also are trying to communicate something, and we can be too quick to write it off as something right. like, oh, this person is an outcast of society. Or, or this, this person... person's a jerk yes. because they snapped at me. Maybe they snapped at me because they're under incredible pressure. Maybe they are snapping at me because they are feeling really bad about themselves or, you know, whatever. You know, and so you got to pay attention. And often when somebody is just sort of acting like, you know, really angry or whatever, it can be one of those things where if, if you want a little, a little like helper tool... In the moment, in the situation to help you kind of like maybe have compassion rather than judgment on it Mm -hmm. is you just imagine them as a child, right? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to like, imagine them as a kid. Now figure out what are they trying to communicate? Yeah. And it takes the stress out of what, because they're obviously not handling it from a position of health when they've 
right. when they're communicating in such an outrageous way. One of my favorite movies when I was in high school was the, was the Robert Redford movie, Jeremiah Johnson. One of the reasons I moved out to Colorado again. I wanted to get back to the mountains. Jeremiah Johnson, the mountain man. And there's a scene where Jeremiah Johnson is with this trapper, two Anglo guys, and they're in the mountains and they come across an Indian. And the Indian starts shouting. And Jeremiah Johnson asks the trapper, what's he saying? And why is he shouting? We could pull into those trees. That'll go getting hasty, friend. Them is flatheads, and they've hurt nobody that I know. Just hold back. Hey! Why, hey! What's he saying? Says them's Blackfeet ponies. Yes, if you were the great warrior who avenges the crazy woman in the Wolf Tail Valley. She's big medicine. So are you if you be that man. So what's he shouting for? Scared of you. And the trapper says, is he scared? <laughs> and yes. that was such a, like uh, almost a mystical moment for me to say, how many people in our lives are we misinterpreting mm-hmm. because their voices are raised? I have to say, I, I, got, I get like kind of PTSD if you raise your voice, even right. if you're not yelling at me. Right. And so, so let's just use this as an example. What you need to learn is that that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. What I need to learn is that's not necessarily that you're mad at me. No. You might be mad at the smell. You might be <laughs> mad at the kids not doing the dishes or something, but it's not like you're you're like actually mad at me. And it, and it's almost always You might not even be mad at them. When I don't feel empowered that yes. there's like I, I feel like that there that's when I'd be more likely to raise my voice. Or, right. You know, when I'm at a healthy you know, just right. grounded position or whatever. I don't need, I don't need to raise my voice, right? But yeah. if I, I feel like sometimes threatened or something like that's when I might do that yeah. anyway. So we're we're sitting here, and one of the things is, as we've said, so back to the farm. Back to the farm. When we've been living on the road, a lot of the time, I got to sleep with one eye open. Am I, you know, in a residential area that I may or may not be allowed to be in in Tucson, where they're going to mm-hmm. kick me out and move me along? Am I in a truck stop where people are doing drug deals, which right. I found to be the second best place? Are from, we farm was the best place, which I'll explain. Second best place, we, and we mentioned it. Yeah, is the is the, the eye stop. of the storm, uh, the truck stop, with the exception of some of our fine friends, like in Florida where we stay in there. But like when, when we were at Marco's house, I felt just fine because he had oh, a couple pit bulls. Yes, but, but, we were great. Yep. But as far as just kind of like just traveling around, if you're on a beach, you know there was a couple that got murdered. And they were on an RV right. at a Corpus, beach in, in Corpus, Corpus Christi. Christi so we were like, oh, okay. let's not go to Corpus Christi. We were, you know, that was in the back of our heads when we were on the beach yeah. in the Gulf Coast. When we, yeah, and if some somebody in a four wheel drive is coming up and yeah. they park near us, and we're like, I don't know, are these friends or foes? Yeah, and you just got to deal with that. So you know, I've got a little bit of that anxiety. It's not strong. I'm, and, I'm, I trust the universe. And with that, we are very uh, in tune with um, our dog Bendy, and yes. when she gets 
upset or there's different noises she'll make like a low yes. grumbling growl yes. and yes. she's just letting something know that she's there right. you know sometimes she gets in a more like panicky bark listening to know, or is there a dog that she wants to play with right that's another one but even she will kind of throw me off because she'll have jump up and start barking mm-hmm. and and because she's nervous mm-hmm. and then i get nervous but the key is here as we were on this farm i felt this this originally i felt like a little bit agitated mm-hmm. because the entire night there are these humongous dogs barking all around us we are in this farm and we are surrounded by all these acres of these huge dogs that are barking yep so there's like what are they barking at and so i could never i couldn't rest at first and then i felt you know how that feeling is stacy where you're half asleep and I and and you hear like your mom saying something about getting ready for school, and you hear it. You're not. It's like you're you're dreaming it with your ear. Yes, I right. know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this happened to me, and I heard this voice, and I thought maybe these were ghosts, and it said, "We are an ancient gang," and I'm like, "Okay, that's weird." There's like Legion, Beelzebub, there's some <laughs> demon talking to me. I'm like, what's this ancient gang? And then I heard of heroes, and then I heard. Then I'm like, well, what is this? Like, there's this ancient gang of heroes? Like, that's really weird. And then all of a sudden, I I heard... Um, go by. The, one of the Great Pyrenees going by. With these, like, massive footprints going in. But soft and padded. Mm-hmm. You They're, know? like, bouncing. You like, know, I, through, like, in a... And then I heard, you're a good guy. And at first I thought, ah, well, maybe they're not demons. Maybe these are angels telling me that I am a great <laughs> hero and I should, you know, be proud of my... No, I realized that I don't think that I was having ESP in this moment. <laughs> but what I believe was happening is there was a subconscious part of me that was learning to translate. This is just a thought I had. Was learning to translate what the great Pyrenees dogs were saying. Because what they were really saying to each other wasn't, Hey, Jeff, wake up and be terrified. Mm-hmm. It was, we got this. Cool over here. Cool. You good. I'm good. We're good. We're cool. Need help? Okay. We got you. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Yep. We good. We good. That was like the chorus. Yep. All yep. night. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. And so... We could tell. We could start to hear the ones when they needed help, like what that mm-hmm. would sound like. Well, why don't we just actually share with the good listener... Just a few moments of what it was like on the roof in this beautiful, beautiful place in, in, a, in, a, in a goat farm in Florida.
So now I don't know if you got that, friends, but to me that's the sound of soothing, soothing evening time. Well, and what we learned, first of all, even with all their barking, is that Bendy was calm. She knew the language. For that entire night. It was the only which, night that she just... <laughs> she could rest because she she's said, like... the other dogs got this. They got this. <laughs> They're far more prepared than I am. And, and these I don't dogs have to could worry have eaten it. her like a jujube. Yes. You know, but... But they didn't. Cause and once we learned what was going on, we've never felt safer. Never felt safer in my life. I said, this is the one night that I can just sleep. Yes. So, and then as I did, I right before I did, I wrote a poem. I've been writing a little poetry lately in addition to translation work. And it's funny because I always, like I tried to woo you with poetry. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've always liked poetry. I think you won. But I always, <laughs> I never could really figure out how to do it because I always thought it was either like really contrived I mean, I I did all right in the old days, but I kind of gave up on it saying, like, I just thought it was too unctuous. It was too, I was trying too hard. You know Mm. what I'm saying? And then I started going, oh, no, I'm just going to write exact, once I get the inspiration, I'm just going to write that down. And that's what I'm going to call poetry. I don't care if it rhymes or not. I'm not trying to be interesting. I'm not trying to be like REM. It's like capturing a moment, right? I'm just going to try to capture that moment that I had. I remember on the Virtue in the Wasteland podcast, I interviewed a poet that I think is groovy, Jen Coiter. And I said that, you know, you you provide these little epiphanies. And I think she recognized that maybe my use of epiphany was like a seven, you know, a little bit over, like, you know, overplay. Mm. But what I mean is like these little mini epiphanies, like these little moments where like the light just... Yeah. Pops through. You... So I realized that one of the things that had caused me anxiety is that in this world, to be ethical, to be true to yourself, to be free, it's really, really hard. We just do it in different ways. If you're affluent and white, maybe your gang is your corporation or your you know, country club. Or your neighborhood association. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, those aren't gangs. Yeah, well, th- they're white collar and they don't necessarily drive by shoot, you know. But why do people get into gangs in the first place? This it's isn't a network, moral it's a, failure. It's a network of support that you can have. They, people, yeah. you got your back. If you're, you know? if you're worried about getting from school to home without getting mugged mm-hmm. and you're 12 and you're scrawny, you join a posse. You just do. I mean, this was my problem. When I was in middle school... There was this 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 posse, you know, little kind of gangish thing. It's blood in, blood out. They had to get beat up. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that, and I wouldn't. And it wasn't my scene. Um, but the thing is, I had a kid break his hand on my back. Well, that would not have happened right. if I was part of the posse, right? And and so they weren't bad kids. They were just kids that grew up in a in a rougher part of town, mm-hmm. and they had friends. So well, you know, and and they're witnessing probably older brother, older siblings, you know, that are doing this stuff or whatever. You know, it's just yeah. how they learn. Yeah, to survive. Right. Or you, or you're in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't go in wanting to join, but like you know, you you got to find yourself a group of people that's going to protect you from getting shivved. Mm-hmm. Or you know, you were noticing something in in Palm Springs. Yeah, was there, it was a church we had visited, and um, one of the ladies that works with the homeless there in that community had told us that first of all, a lot of other communities will bust their homeless into Palm Springs, and then. What happens is, is that as these homeless people are trying to find somewhere to sleep, then they, they they basically get told that they need to be a part of a group of panhandling for money. 
And if they don't, they're going to get beat up. And so what ends up happening is, is they can't sleep because they're going to get beat up, especially at night or whenever, whenever they put their guard down. And then when you can't sleep, then you're definitely going to have mental health issues yeah, and go and crazy. Because even judgment. somebody that's completely normal and has no other issues, and oh, if you yeah. go for several nights without sleep, you become crazy. You get, you yeah. know, you, you'll even fall down. You can't, you can't think. If I'm sleep deprived, I am, I'm not a, as nice of a guy. No, I, and I start to get like batty and yeah. you know, you can't, like I said, you can't so, think it's, yeah. it's, it's actually not safe to be it's driving a car. Hard. Not even just because you can't, not because you might even fall asleep, but just because you're not going to react the way you need to, yeah. to avoid certain situations. So, but anyway, so the, the homeless, I was going to say though, with yeah. the homeless, I mean, I think that that's why sometimes you might see even um, a homeless person with a dog because then the dog can watch over them and they can sleep and get some rest. Um, That may not be the only reason, but that's, you know, definitely one of them. But so imagine you're like on, you you, you know, you, you, you lose your job, you know, like maybe, maybe you had a drinking problem, you know, you're not a bad person, but you, you, you didn't show up for something at work. Now you lost your job, spouse throws you out. Now you're on the streets. And it like it it can go pretty fast this way. You mm-hmm. could say, well, it's always because of alcohol and, and 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 mental health. Like, kind of. It can be. There's a correlation, and there's definitely a correlation in terms of like how. But what but the what started getting... the alcohol in the first place? Yeah. Is one of the things. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like, where did they? Yeah. Where did that come from? And regardless, and some people do this. Maybe they just have like a biological, like they're already there, but so you get you get off the bus, and now you thought like, well. I don't have my job anymore, but at least I don't have to work for the man. Oh, yeah, you do now. Now you're yeah. a panhandler for just a lower yep. level just uh, hustler. Yep. And then you think, well, you know, why does why does Jesus have such compassion for prostitutes? Is because is it because he is easygoing on on sin and that sort of thing? Or, or no, no, prostitution. If you if you go to my book now. I know I was talking to Raleigh Sadler, and there is a group of, of folks, sex workers, that are angry. So if you're a sex worker and you feel empowered and you're mad at me, I'll just let you tell me. You just you tell. Actually, I'd be really interested if you are a sex worker and you're listening to the show and you want to set us straight and explain how there is a, 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 a an empowerment and you're able to control your own life and you don't work for a, a cruel pimp. That's fine. What I said in my book, Sexy, The Quest for Erotic Virtue in Perplexing Times, is that for the most part, one of the big problems there isn't that we should be prudish and anti-sex. Mm-hmm. It's that I am very, very concerned about the correlation, in my mind, between sex work and being trafficked in other abusive situations. So people that run away from, let's say, an abusive fundamentalist family, find themselves on the streets of some big city, they get taken in by a boyfriend who's not really a good guy, mm-hmm. and then they end up getting pimped out just to you know, make rent. Like This is something that, that Raleigh Sadler has, has explained to us yeah, that happens. about the way that we think that, like, that trafficking of humans is always like you're, like you're locked up. No, it's like sometimes there's no chains on you. Mm-hmm. It's the it's these emotional chains, and so for me, the the key isn't to criminalize the sex worker. That's like that's I don't even like saying calling people whore, right? Because I think that that would be like saying, hey, like I'm gonna 
I'm going to use a word that describes somebody who is suffering in a, a situation where they're not in power of they're not in control of their own lives mm-hmm. and I'm going to degrade them even further. So now they've got to do the sex work. Then on top of that, they get shame. Yeah. You know, so society shaming them for what? For being at the bottom of, 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 the barrel. of the barrel here. Now, again, if, if this is not, I do not, I do not know this world. Yeah. Since I live in a world where people that work in grocery stores or at colleges or even for churches sometimes feel like they're part of this archetype of the prostitute, that they're not really in charge of their own lives. Right. Then Which, if that, the prostitute that, is a prostitute, then they're probably fulfilling the the emotional archetype of the prostitute. Right. That's all and, I'm saying. And, and I would say that that, that – archetype that applies to men as well anything where we're giving up male and female sex workers right but what i'm saying is is that any any situation where you are giving up some of your power um for your survival yes and then i realized oh no is it impossible is it impossible to be free because as i'm driving through the country if i said i don't claim the protection of a gang or a job, like if I quit my job, or you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that independence mm-hmm. is scary, dread, terrifying. Right. If you don't, you know, I'm like, if you, if you want to leave your cult, if you want to leave a, 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 an abusive family and then you are on your own, or a spouse, that's what's so scary because then where, where are you going after that? Just to yeah. another. So that's the thing. So this is, this is the thing that gave me hope is that as we have traveled around, we're meeting other great Pyrenees. And what I mean by this are people that are friends, even if we don't know them well. So I've got a chapter in a book edited by Scott Keith, yes, and it's, it's on the ethics of friendship. It's called Where Two or Three Are Gathered, Essays on Friendship. And what I argue in this is that a friend is somebody that you could make as an, as an instant friend because you share a common um, sort of like a, a common value, a common right. mission. Right. It's not that you share like, hobbies no you know that's just like your buddy that you you bowl with it's like i got you you got me you could be from different backgrounds you should have as much diversity in your friendships as possible for health but the diversity means that i'm meeting people from other cultures people older than me people younger than me people of the opposite sex people that are all sharing a um, a commitment to something that i care about that we care about the same basic principle and when that happens it's really quick so for instance you'd never met uh, marcos's wife ceci right but but we liked what she cared about we understood mm-hmm. where she was coming from so we were friends when we went out to eat right at versailles we were friends right and i had already been friends but you didn't no. meet them before and now you're friends right so we did this or we stayed with our friends in in uh, in florida a little farther we, south we met them for the first time only reason we're not saying people's names is because when you do boondockers welcome it's important to not reveal people's actual mm-hmm. names it's part of the deal anyway um but but they were we were hanging out with their we became, kids it felt like almost like we were instant we family up, it yeah. felt like family not just you know it was crazy right. we saw things in a similar way but just because somebody works with you that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be friends with them in that way right i mean th- this is kind of this is what i was arguing for but what i realized is that in this world that we're like we're, we're all battling these these scary things that what i call molek mm-hmm. i wanted to know you know what What's the network here yeah. of people that aren't going to bow the knee to bail? 
you know, mm-hmm. that wouldn't that wouldn't click the heels for Hitler. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. because I mean, one of my childhood fears is always that, right? Like, like because I'm worried about cults, I'm also worried about like nationalistic cults and things like this, right? And I just want to see, like, what's the temperature of things here, and and who who's who's got your back when maybe you have financial difficulties because you're taking a stand on something or other, right? Mm-hmm. So. I was feeling that anxiety, and then I started to think through this, the Great Pyrenees, that that they represented something. That is, that Marcos and Ceci are Great Pyrenees, that uh, that our friends uh, in uh, in Colorado, Chris and Amber, are Great Pyrenees. There are these people that we that we our friends Molly and Scott, Molly and Scott, right? Like anywhere. I mean, I'm not leaving anybody out here on purpose. I'm just saying, as you're as we were traveling, we said like. Sometimes you feel lonely, mm-hmm. but the way not to feel lonely is to not ask how many popular people are going out with me to the club. The question is, am I part of a mission that's that's on the right track? And that's and what's find so those much fun when we get oh. to meet some of you folks for the first time. Like, yes. You know, when you were hanging, hanging out, out in Indiana, you know? Yeah, like, three different friends that I'd never really connected yeah, but you with. Feel I mean, like I've met one of them before friends, it briefly. Yeah, you know? Because we, we, we've got this shared conversation. So because of all that and because of that beautiful, beautiful experience of, of the Great Pyrenees, I wrote this poem. The Order of the Great Pyrenees. I renounce with compassion the protection of the spiritual gangsters and pimps who have kept me and all the terrified foundlings from breathing in life and barking from the depths home. All right. Love it. I don't care if you like it or not. I am now in the zone. Oh, I love it that you love it. (laughs) But I mean, I'm in the zone where... I know how to write poetry. This is for you, dear friends. Here's how you write poetry. Write exactly what you need to say. And who cares if anybody publishes it or likes it? Don't do it to look like you're writing poetry. Write what that is that was in your heart. And it's a way for me to kind of calm myself down because I'm such a jabbermouth, as you dear listeners know. I am paid per word. No. No, I mean, I mean I'm paid to talk, <laughs> to talk right? Talk, yeah. And what I need to do sometimes is to focus my brain all those things that I said about the Great Pyrenees, stick it onto a poem. Yes. But again, we also need to listen to people that are barking and they're in pain. So sometimes we need to realize, oh, somebody's barking and they're not a threat. Right. Sometimes somebody's barking and we want them to shut up mm-hmm. and there's a threat. Mm-hmm. Right? So sometimes I'm worried, are we going to have the dog bark it up at the, the, at the door? Right. And then we put the collar on her to stop her from barking and there's like a bunch of thieves outside. Yeah. That would be possible right and this takes me to a thing that that makes me sad which is too often in my experiences in christian education i have known that students who complain students who complain about abuse in the church in some form or other right i'm using this again very broadly they're often told to shut up because they're barking Mm -hmm. and they're not people aren't hearing what they're saying or sometimes people say, well, it's okay that you complain about this, mm-hmm. but you don't, you don't say it in the way we want you to say it. Mm-hmm. The, the, part of the problem is for us to really understand what's going on is to let people run. We need to listen. We need to listen. Now, you don't have to agree. And, and I'll say one of the things that we learned is that we've met people that are so attached to trauma 
that this becomes their essence and we think it's unhealthy for them. Mm -hmm. So if out of love I can speak into their lives some wisdom, I would say don't let this wound become your obsession. And yeah, become all for that you. you are because then you're missing out on the rest of life. But right? at the same time, if you need to, to sound an alarm, sound the alarm and we'll talk later about where you want to end up. No, you need to hear what what the what the voices are, what people are saying, so then you can you know how to help people, how to yeah. how what what's going on in the world outside of your bubble, yeah. right? Like yeah. if it's just people that are completely endorsed by or people in your bubble that that are hiding, yeah, then you're just in a what you're in a what do you call it like an echo chamber, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so th- policing people's tone. Is especially people who have who have something that's kind of very sensitive to talk about, you know, violence, race, uh, abusive behaviors. This is a way, you know, this is a way that bad people control us. Mm-hmm. They say, "Okay, oh, okay, fine, something, you know, this isn't okay over here. No, somebody shouldn't have treated you this way, but." But I don't like the way you're uh, dealing with it. Right. It becomes that more than what they're even saying. Yeah. Sometimes in a workplace, people will complain about, let's say, being excluded because of gender or something. Mm -hmm. And and people will then come at them and say, well, that's fine. Of course, we shouldn't do that. But your problem is the way you raise this concern. This was bad for business or you're not a good team player or that sort of thing. Right. And that is how – that's how the wolves manipulate. And that's how people that maybe aren't wolves but want to keep or things. Then when you try to go off cool. to a new job and the rumors are out there that you're a troublemaker, you yeah. know, then it's like all, all because you sounded an alarm. Right. Like, yeah. We I, tend to blame. That's what I'm saying. We tend to blame the victim. And we need friends. If you have been in that situation, you're heard, even if it's theoretically like we understand that that's what happens. Like you're crying out and people do not want to hear what you're saying because they don't want to hear. In a way, right? They want to ignore it. They, they want to ignore it to make themselves be able to to live with themselves or cope, right? Or, so, or to, sometimes to it's just keep like, making money. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't want to be sidetracked from whatever they they want to focus yeah. on or whatever. You know, they don't have time for yeah. that or something. Who knows? Yeah. Or they just want to keep what they call the peace, and then yeah. even if it's a fake peace, <laughs> yeah, you know. But real healing, right, comes from actually listening trying to figure out what is at the root of yeah. all of this and then fix that or yeah. get to that issue. If you're that person, we have so much deep love and wish you so much peace in that. If you are a leader, please help your community to empower and protect complainers. I mean, that was the big lesson from the farm that there wasn't like, it wasn't like that bad. Some of the things that were going on, it was just people needed more like food. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like they, this is the farm in Tennessee. And the guy said, Hey, no, we want to be positive. Mm-hmm. No, you want to say it's okay for us to talk about the things that we're not happy with. Cause by the way, you're going to keep a much healthier and probably financially more viable thing going on. Cause a lot of times what happens, people are suffering, people are suffering, people are suffering. And then they ghost you. <laughs> you <laughs> well, know yeah, or the whole thing just blows up or something. Yeah, right, or right, whatever. right. So, I mean, at now, a very practical level. Now, that also, not we now here, just for the sake of balance, is yeah. there is such a thing as, say, codependency that can happen yeah. when somebody oh, yeah. when somebody has is suffering something or whatever. Some people just love to be part of that. 
that conversation are you saying because they like they want to be dealing with the the, the problems and like they're always right. staying in the so negative not, it's yeah. not yeah it's not to f- just be trying to feed the negative here no it's it's hearing people so that you can then move to the positive and yeah. if you're if you're dwelling or stuck in the negative all of the time yes then that's unhealthy as well yeah it is yeah and yeah. so my my point is if overall you want peace and healing we need to pay attention to the pain, to the cries. We yes. don't need to constantly have just this negativity like pumping around us or anything. Right. Find healing. Right. You know, get to the heart of these issues and and when if if for some reason you are around somebody that just is doing nothing but just drawing all your energy away Mm. from you like just you know bringing you down all the time Mm. that's probably an unhealthy relationship too so maybe kind of for both of you yeah for both of you and figure out what's going on if there's any way to heal it the way you heal it is to say you know i hear you yes you know what i'm saying and and what can i do to help you to really know that i hear you Mm -hmm. now for the break we are going to listen to something that just uh, on the side works my senses. I don't know. This is the best thing I could say. It it makes me feel bright. I was uh, doing a, a, a talk at a conference where there were only, only two of us. And I was wondering, well, what what's this other guy about? It was me and Steve Bell. We were talking about dying well, how to face death spiritually, theologically, and so forth. And And, and he was doing it through music. And I was doing it through theology. And I loved what he talked about in between his his songs. But I will say that one of the things that happens to me is I get triggered by a certain aesthetic when it comes to Christian music. If I'm flipping through the channels, and I was like, this is kind of an interesting song. And then I start to get a sense, oh, I'm kind of getting the rhythm here. There's just something about it that if if you can kind of pay attention, you can know a Christian song before you can actually hear the lyrics right. and it sounds a little bit like Coldplay <laughs> and U2 with you know like a real uplifting it is it's, 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 I can't I ever, figure it out. I hardly listen to the radio I either yeah. usually plug in my phone listen to podcasts but when I am in a situation where all I have is a radio it is funny because you could just flip through the channels and yes. you could just tell from like usually sometimes the first you know little bit anyway I, I know my only the only rotation that Christian albums get are from Johnny Cash, uh, Sam Cooke, and um, 16 Horsepower, I'll count them, and um, the the gospel album that Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg put together, which is fantastic. <laughs> and, I mean, I mean, no, wait, wait, and Modest Yahoo. I'll count Modest Yahoo, who just you, does Old Testament stuff. He's you might, Jewish. I don't know, you probably would count Leonard Cohen, too. And no, Leonard Cohen's a, a Buddhist Jew. No. Yeah. So I'm talking, no, no, no. I'm not just saying something spiritual. I'm saying, and I, okay. I should, okay. I won't include. Okay. I'm saying, so spiritual I'm not against Christian lyrics. I'm against the contemporary Christian music, and I'm not against it. Remember I'm Bob not against Dylan? And Shot Bob- of Love. That was the one I was going to say. I'll listen to Shot of Love, Bob Dylan. <laughs> but listen, but here's what I'm saying. The, the, the key is I have a bodily reaction when I hear Christian music because of some of the oppression of my fundamentalist youth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and right, like, 
like I got in detention for not putting my hands up during a praise yeah. song. Yeah. So to me, and this is what we also have to pay attention to for people. Some people will be traumatized by hearing an organ. I get traumatized by hearing bell synths. Yes. Okay. Yeah. As you've mentioned, yes. So it's not that I'm condemning it. And this is the key. I am not going to judge the bell synth. I'm trying to listen for what it's doing to myself and for others. And again, music is, you know, it's another sound. It's yeah. a powerful tool. It can bring you right back to a place or a time. Right. Even good memories and sometimes Sometimes even in, in, in negative, right? So I thought I was going to be doing this thing where, oh, and I'll listen to Bill Brimer, but that's different. That guy is just <laughs> Bill, man. He's solid. Man. You listen to his country music right now, he's solid. But I'm talking about like the, like the thing that's called contemporary Christian music. Now, so I'm not saying that this is what Stephen Bell does. I'm just saying I'm worried that that's what it's going to be. So I'm talking with this guy. And I'm like, oh, boy. I was kind of hoping it would be me and a philosopher, me and a sociologist of religion, me and a, and a nurse who deals with hospice, okay? Not a musician. We're going to deal with death through music. Oh, friends, listen to this song and feel what it feels like, if it only for a few moments, beauty what it feels like not to feel from beautiful death. dreams. Let beauty awake from rest. Let beauty awake for beauty's sake In the hour when the birds awake in the break And the stars are yet bright in the west Let beauty awake from rest Let beauty awake in the eve from the slumber of day Awake in the crimson eve In the day's dusk end When the shades ascend Let her wake to the kiss of a tender friend To render again and receive Let beauty awake in the eve While we the gardeners of creation blessed Furrow the soil at our Savior's behest And bury the seeds of our own life's death And suffer God's glory to grow Yes, we the priests of all that is made Gather the greatness of creation's praise That burgeoning freshness of glory displayed From the depths of the earth below Let beauty awake in the morn from the cool of the grave Let beauty awake from death Let beauty awake for Jesus' sake In the hour when the angels their silence break And the garden is bright with his breath Let beauty awake from death And the garden is bright with his breath From death. So finally, Stacy. Yes. You gotta go. You gotta go get the whole album. That album. Is hey. But but it's we're gonna. Good. That's you know, that's a nice song. I it's like a that one. It's, just, it's, it's just pure. It's sweet. It's like a beautiful cold glass of water. Puts a little smile on my face. Oh yeah. But we have a we have a listener email that's an actual actually was something that we addressed in a in a podcast we never released so we forgot to get to it so we're going back to an old one. Linda says, how do we navigate mental illness in a relationship, especially a marriage? So many complex dynamics, but I'm thinking of the breadth, depression, personality disorders, psychosis, etc. How do Christians faithfully discern if they have reached a tipping point where the health of both partners will be broken 
if they stay together. This was my reality. It was a torturous, decades-long point to reach. But from the moment I faced, embraced, and moved past that tipping point, I have not had one iota of doubt ever that I should have stayed in the marriage. And yes, there's grace in that. That's heavy. Heavy stuff. Especially when I think about decades and how many people I know that have felt like the worst part of their life was a marriage that lasted decades. Yeah. I mean, I know so many people with that. And let's just get this one out straight up. This is not the question here. But I've seen some things on Twitter and other social media where some of these very conservative religious male leaders are saying that that Jesus doesn't talk about physical abuse as uh, grounds for divorce. That's uh, So ugh. stop that. Yeah. No way. If you are a physical danger or your children are in physical danger, you don't have to think of marriage as a trap. When the Christian community talks about this idea of not getting divorced, Jesus is primarily concerned with dudes dropping women off at the corner to get a new, prettier, younger model. And especially back in those days, they had no other options. They could only pretty much be, they were damaged goods, essentially. They They could just be prostitutes, prostitutes, that kind of uh, stuff. So it's abandoning. Beggars. Yeah. And so when Jesus says, the only time you should ever consider that is if there is adultery involved. Right, but if it's not adultery, then you should you should take care of your family. Right, we're not people that leave each other behind. That is totally different from a 21st century situation where people are in something that is killing them. Anytime, and this is this is why this is such an important email for us. Yes, anytime something is feeling like it is the poison of your very existence. Yeah. You don't have to drink that. Right. You just don't. Now, I don't know how to explain it. You're going to have to go get my book where I talk about how I apply uh, – this is in the book Sexy – how I apply the, the divorce in the New Testament to kind of the, 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 the idea of just war theory, which is you should have it be the last resort. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be not something taken lightly and that there is an invitation for us to say, I'm still going to stay with somebody because of cl- even if they're clinically depressed. I'm going to, you know, you helped right. me through something last night. So we don't want to take lightly the idea that we want to look out for each other. But also you can't ignore if your body is telling you something and yeah. you are in an incredibly unhealthy spot because of, you know, in a relationship that you're in. You need to listen to that. Yeah. And whether that means, I'm not saying that you have to necessarily stay or or um, go. What I'm saying is listen to your body. Realize something needs to happen. Something, yeah. needs, to something needs to change. And if you know deep down that you need to leave, you need to listen to that. But, yeah. Nobody else can tell you. Oh, yeah, they can. They're going <laughs> to tell try. you. Everybody They're, likes you to weigh in. Authority. Everybody oh, yeah. likes to weigh in Friends. on marriages, yeah. especially. It's funny. Um, you know, Religious it's not leaders. it's not funny. But when a couple does end up, you know, separating or, you know, getting a divorce or whatever, it seems like you're going to have like, Camp A, Camp B, and people right. that you thought were your friends aren't, and then everybody judges the relationship, and they don't know yeah. what was it, what it was like to be in the relationship. Only you know. Right. And so, if you're not sure, you know, go get professional help. Yeah. You know, get seek help, but don't live in this state of you know you're in an unhealthy spot. Don't just stay right. there and take it and think that you have to. Just be that that's how it's going to be. If you've got somebody who's unhealthy for you, you can get yourself out of proximity to them and without even hating them, without not supporting them. You don't even have to determine the ultimate 
you know, yeah. the the longevity of the relationship, just get yourself in a healthy spot. And then you can start to even address whether or not how to go right. about, you know, the re- the future of that relationship, right? Take care of yourself, get healing is super important. I know that this is not going to be what you always hear from the religious teachers in whatever tradition, whatever religion, you know. Go to your religious teachers for wisdom. Do not go for permission. Yeah. I want to say this again. They don't own you. You don't need their permission. Right. You need their wisdom. So you get the wisdom from your religious leaders. You get the the social worker. Mm-hmm. You get a good or friend. Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. I mean, right? Like that's how it's done. And one of the things that's really, really uncomfortable about cults and religious communities is they love to attack psychiatry mm-hmm. and yeah. clinical counseling. Right. So or, I'm not against using spiritual techniques Sometimes even to medication. You know, you sometimes need medication and people villainize yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's sometimes overdone. But you, you'd say like you're not against like say yoga therapy. But that doesn't mean that that's going to take the place of something where you're dealing with some very specific – you know, mental health issue mm-hmm. that a doctor needs or a very serious trauma that you think you're just going to just like, well, I'm just going to forgive and forget, but you've got this other deep, you know, problem that your body's wrestling with right. this anxiety. Right. So, so this is, this is not a small issue to me. This is, this is a hill I'm willing to die on this, this madness that these conservative Christians think that they want to reassert into the world, a demand that, Women can't get divorced unless the church leadership approves it. No, or or men no. for that matter. I mean, there's a lot no, of men, or men that are men, suffering or, t- terrible, in yes. relationships that it's probably even hard. I mean, it's got to be harder because society. I mean, it's not that cool to you know for a guy to say, "Hey, I you know I feel like I'm being abused." You know, now the Catholic Church, I th- like you just you you. You get excommunicated. <laughs> I'm not laughing at Isn't you. Isn't that crazy? Not, like, we had, I have a student. I have a student who, like, he was got married. Just a great kid. Got married, and then, and then, uh, and I was like, don't. I didn't want him to get married, but I don't want to weigh in too much of students' lives. You know, it was very brief, and they wouldn't annul it. And because of that, he can never be a theologian in the Catholic Church. Now, for me, as somebody who is um, genetically uh, allergic to the Vatican. Okay, I just need to say, like, I love my Catholic friends. I love my Benedictine monk friends. But, like, if I were to go to something that wasn't Protestant, it'd be Eastern Orthodoxy. You know, I am not interested in the power structure. I'm not interested in what happened with Constantine. So, like, there's, like, a Catholic piety that I love in Mexico. Abuelita, you know, you know, and, and the, the Virgin of Guadalupe. I, listen, have fun. But what I'm worried about is the 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 kind of power connection mm-hmm. and the old boys club that's protecting well, and, it, and the abusive situation, right? So outside of – I'm just recognizing that like that's a lot of Christians are Catholic and they're going to get excommunicated. Yeah. And there's other people that are going to get excommunicated. Fine. They have the right to do that. I'm saying you as a soul, as a human being, so be it. Let them excommunicate But also you. that doesn't mean that God has excommunicated you. Oh, it's it's you and God, <laughs> it, yeah. you know, and and the terror that people live in when they right, can't accept because, that. Because the problem is, is is that you? I mean, when a church excommunicates you, then you think like, oh, I am going to hell, you know? Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing. <laughs> that's what they're saying. But 
that's not for them to decide. You were in a living hell for a few decades, and now you're – and I'll tell you the one thing. I mentioned this in the book uh, that really drives me nuts is that when we were growing up in the evangelical world, if you had been divorced, you're like living in sin every day of your life. So you are just just like hovering under this crowd, mm-hmm. this cloud of shame if you come into the building, mm-hmm. if you're divorced and remarried. But if you had been promiscuous all throughout high school and had five or six affairs – um, but then you found Jesus. Mm-hmm. You tell that story because you're now it's now your testimony. Yeah. And, and when people okay. like Linda share this story and those other people share that story and people don't see the hypocrisy, I say Ichabod because that's that is too many people I know have lived in that constant hell. And uh, and listen, listen, Stacy, is our marriage? It's easy, isn't it? No, like no. I'm not saying no. that we're. In fact, I mean there are, there are times we've when we've been I'm doing like, this for I... decades. Like oh. oh, like can we? You know, can no, th- you know? Will we? Will, can we stay? You know, can we pull this out? Marriage is we're not, not easy. We are not denying that and- it's difficult, and we're also if you think, oh, Jeff and Stacy are like easy on the divorce button. Uh, my no. student Katrina said like she used to get mad at me. Uh, you mentioned Katrina because I I think I, I I did this joke about the divorce button. I am not a person that has an itchy trigger finger for the divorce button. No. I'm somebody who says, if you need to get out, that's the moment you need to get out. When should, don't think about it. You just pack your bags. You go. You figure out what you got to do. What should people do if right now they're saying, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I shouldn't f- worry about a podcast. Maybe I need to, to get my life you know, clear of some, some bad dudes yeah. or ladies. So there is um, – here's a phone number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's one 800 799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. You can also go ahead and do the texting. From yeah, the, we always talk about the, that. We have that one. It's 741-741. Yeah. So whatever method you just, might like. But, just but find us. help. Yeah. Find help. That's the important part because we want everybody to find the healing that they need. We want everybody to find the peace that is out there. If you love your neighbor, if you love your neighbor as yourself, love yourself like you'd love your neighbor. You don't want to see other people suffering. We don't want to see you suffering. No. But we aren't right next to you right now. You're next to you. You're in you. <laughs> yeah. You're in between those two ears. And, uh, and we're saying to you that you need to love enough you need to love yourself enough to to be courageous. I know it's hard, but to be able to say, I need to do what, what I need to do for the healing of myself. And then once I get there, then maybe there's something I can do for other people. But if you're not healthy, if you're not, if you're not feeling at peace, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be effective for the healing of other people who are who are broken. Yeah. Right? And if you're fine, but then you've noticed somebody in your life that's been crying out. Yeah. Just try to lend an ear. Listen. Try to listen. Listen closely. And see what they're saying. And what we're saying to you. Is peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. 
Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said that was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.